What is up, guys? This is KJ once again, and this is Why Theology. Of course, Why Theology Matters is because through our understanding of what theology is, we, we should be growing in a deeper understanding of who God is, because theology is the study of God. And so today, we're going to be focusing on the central doctrine of theology that holds everything together, and that is what the gospel is. And so today's episode will be getting the gospel right. So that'll be the title episode, getting the gospel right. And I have another special guest with me. Well, it's the same special guest, but Chloe. She lame, y'all. But you know, <laughs> after the last episode she's featured on, I decided to go ahead and sign her. So when she put those dimes out, you know, y'all got to cash up me because y'all can't be listening to this without you know paying me, y'all. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I don't get any kind of payment. But yeah, today's episode, getting the gospel right. So today we're going to make sure that you're getting the gospel right. So stay tuned. So what is up, guys? Again, this is Wild Theology. My name is KJ. My special guest, same one, Chloe, my cousin. And Chloe, why do you think it's so important that we get the gospel right or we're making sure that we are getting the gospel right? Because we must understand the purpose of the gospel. And if you don't know what the gospel is, then you don't understand the purpose of it and where we come in on it. And a lot of people are under the misconception that it is all about us when it's not. Uh So the moment when the gospel becomes all about us. There she go, y'all, with them dimes. (laughs) Go ahead, cash up me. My name is. No, I'm playing. Go ahead. The moment that the gospel becomes all about us is the very moment that it's no longer the gospel. So I feel like it's very important and it's very crucial that people actually understand what the gospel is. And where we come in to play with the gospel. Well, not to play with the gospel, but where we come into it. Because if not, then it defeats the purpose. All right, guys. And my cash up name is P-A-W-M-E-1545. Pay me 1545. No, I'm playing, guys. But <laughs> that was a good answer, actually. I like that answer. Um, I would say, too, um, like, well, let me, ask her, let me ask you this, Chloe. So think about this. If we're getting the gospel right... Does that mean that like people who aren't getting the gospel right believe in false doctrine or believe in a, a false eternity? Like that, because our eternity it hinges on getting this right, right? So if somebody has this wrong, what would you say the problem is with that? I would say if you have the gospel wrong, you have. I would say you have everything wrong because that's the root, that's the start, that's the seed of the flower. So I feel like. If you have the gospel wrong, the whole foundation is off. It's kind of like building a house on sand. Like, the whole foundation is off because sand can be blown away. The water can wash the sand away. So, therefore, we must set our faith on solid ground. All right. So, if we think about it from an eternity standpoint, if we know as Christians, we believe in heaven and hell, right? So, we as Christians, we should be the real Christian, I should say. Because, you know, nowadays, everybody's going to heaven. But... The real Christians, people that's legitimately followers of Christ, they know what the gospel is. So people outside of Christianity that, that's not truly saved, what would you say, like, where would they be going? Would they be going to heaven or hell, like, if they get this message wrong? So people who are not actually follow, followers of Christ and they get the gospel wrong, hell. Why? Because they don't know what the gospel is. And if you don't know that what the gospel is, how can you be saved? Uh-oh. Okay. So think about this. So like when you say be saved, what do you think people are being saved from? Like is it the devil? Like is it in trials of the world? What no. are they saved from? Um, being saved from hell. Being saved from the wrath of God. So What do you mean by the wrath of God? Like God's wrath will be poured. And to be saved from that wrath, you must have the seal, his seal on you. And if you don't, then you are subject to the wrath. So can you talk a little bit more about what the wrath of God is a little bit? Because I know some of my listeners, I know what you're talking about, but maybe somebody out there doesn't know quite, you know, what is hell? Like, what is the wrath of God? Like, what do you mean when you say stuff like that? So the wrath of God, like he said, is hell for people who don't know. And that's the eternal wrath of God that will never be stopped. So eternally burning and not being able to escape that. So the eternal wrath of God is hell. All right. Do you feel like maybe God, do you think God can like show or extend his wrath now, right now as we're living on earth? You said, do I think he can extend his wrath? Or like show it or reveal it right now, like people right now, if that makes sense. Yes. 
Yeah. And so, <laughs> I got you on the spot, huh? But yeah, you're right. It's a passage in Romans 1 talks about how God, he's revealed himself through creation, right? And so nobody is without excuse. Like, if you die right now, not knowing, the, never heard the gospel, you still be without excuse because creation screams the creator. That's what Paul was getting at. And so it talks about how God has given people over to their simple desires. And this is God's wrath. God judged people is giving them over to what they want. And so that's a form of uh, wrath or God's judgment. But also, like she said, in a place in eternity known as a hell, where people will go there will never get out and they experience eternal torment day by day, right? So this is very important because, again, like my cousin has said, if we get, like, whatever we do with this message right here, it determines where we'll spend eternity at, right? And I don't know about you, but eternity is a, is that a short time or what? No, eternity <laughs> is for forever. Forever, right? So when you say forever, you don't mean, like, you know, a thousand years and you get out. Right. But you mean, what do you mean? Like, forever, like, never ending. Like, for humans, you know, we say, like, my friend forever or da-da-da forever. And then, you know, it ends whenever you die or whenever, you know, hard times come. But, like, forever to God is forever because God is outside of time. So Infinite, eternal right. is eternal. That's kind of tough, right? Imagine getting burnt for the rest of, the rest of your life and can't die. Tough, tough, tough. But today's episode, getting the gospel right. And so I got 13, what the gospel is not. And then we're going to talk about what the gospel is. And so... Let me start us off by reading today's scripture. It's kind of like two scriptures, but um, the Apostle Paul was probably like the biggest person for telling us what the gospel is. Of course, the gospel is all throughout the Bible. And every scripture, it can, you, it can get to the gospel. But Paul, I believe he did his like he did a great job, for, like, you know, making sure the believer understand what the gospel truly is and what it is not. And so listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 1, NASB. He says, Paul, a barn servant of Christ, Jesus, or Paul, a barn servant, <laughs> I'm struggling, y'all, I'm struggling. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so finally, I didn't butcher my words or get tongue-tied, but we're going to focus on that verse one more time. I'm going to read it one more time in case somebody's owned up. So it says, Paul a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So today's question, what is the gospel of God? Well, let me start us off by saying what the gospel of God is not, right? And so the gospel of God is not... That God has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure somebody right now today, they think that God has a wonderful plan in my life. God wants me to be rich, happy, um, divorce, living off my fifth marriage, sleeping with that girl or my ex-wife. Just all, having all the riches, being with this person in the world, having this car, that car, the biggest church in the world, money, all these different kinds of things like that. All these materialistic things. And then it's a certain preacher, I might gonna quote everybody, but I know Joel Osteen, uh, he quotes that a lot, how God has a wonderful plan for your life. I don't know, um, Joyce Meyer, I think she still does it as well. God has one plan for your life. T.D. Jakes. It's a lot of preachers, quote unquote, or Christians that says God has a wonderful plan for your life. But the Bible says, yes, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. And that, that's a place of hell, right? If you don't get the gospel right, God's wonderful plan for your life is going to be an eternity. Experience his wrath forever and never ending pain, right? And so... And I was going to say that God has a different plan for everybody's life. So God's wonderful plan for somebody else's life could be hell. And his wonderful plan for someone else's life could be heaven. So people talk about wonderful life, but they play it as having money and being so healthy and da da da. I know lots of Christians who are very sick or, you know, on their deathbeds and different things like that. So Perfect health is not promised to everybody. All of the money in the world is not promised to everybody. Having the biggest house or the nicest clothes is not promised to everybody. Like scripture says, you can be rich in materialistic things and poor in spirit. Uh-oh. Hey, there go them dimes. Cash up name, P-A-Y-M-E. <laughs> P-A-Y-M-E. Cash up. No, don't forget, y'all. At, at, at the end of this episode, I'm going to put like a sponsor at the end. It's going to be like cash up, why it's important. We should pay their fellow Christian brothers. Not a plan, but she riding the money, y'all. 
number so that was number one what the gospel is not it's not that god has a wonderful plan for life because like my cousin said and like i both echoed god's wonderful plan is not the same as what humans wonderful plan is because you can be rich you know materialistic viewpoint and be dead in sin and be poor spiritually and so number that was number one number two the gospel by itself is not a relationship with God. That's part of it, but it's not the full essence of what the gospel is. And so what do we mean when we say that? So let me kind of break this down a little bit, because I know you need a relationship with the Lord. So you definitely need a relationship with the Lord to be saved. But if we were to go out, if we were to be going out as Christians and evangelizing the lost, you would not tell people they're in a relationship with God because that's not the gospel. That's part of it. But that's not the full essence of what the gospel is. The good news is not you need a relationship with Jesus. That's part of it, but that's not the good news. Telling somebody they need a relationship with the Lord is not the gospel. Because they'll look at it like, why do I need a relationship with him? What's the point? Exactly, exactly. So number three, the gospel is not Jesus saving us from our problems. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> People think that when you get saved or when you hear the gospel, that Jesus saves you from your problems. And this is not the gospel. This is the prosperity gospel. This is a false gospel that says that when you get saved, your life will be better. Because I can tell you right now, I've been saved for three years and my life has oftentimes been worse than what it was before I got saved because think about this before I got saved I would live my life for myself and indulge in my sin of course my sin was pimping me and it was slapping me and beating me up and it was my God and so because of that I wasn't glorifying the Lord and so my life was miserable but my life was easy because I was just doing what I wanted to do and now that I'm saved I have to submit to myself to somebody else's authority not only that I have to die to my sinful passions and my selfish ambitions and kill pride and idolatry just to follow the Lord. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit is the one who's enabling me to do these things because apart from him, I couldn't do that. I know people are going to be bashing me already, but you guys get my point. It's not easy to follow Jesus Christ. And so don't let nobody tell you that when you become a Christian, your life will be better because that's not the truth. You will receive many more blessings in Christ that you didn't have before. And Christ will give you everything that you need which is him, but your life will not get easier. Because think about this. All the apostles except one got killed for this faith. Jesus preached the same message that we're going to preach at the end of this, and he got killed for the gospel. So just because you're a Christian or hear the gospel does not mean your life will get better. It doesn't at all. I've been a Christian for seven months now, and I can go right along with him on that. It definitely does not get easier. Like you said, my life has actually been harder because I'm no longer living my life for my sin or living my life for myself, but instead submitting to the will of God and submitting to what God wants for me. So, and then when you become a Christian, you face so much temptation and it's so hard to pick up your cross and deny yourself because you're so used to giving into that sin like it's nothing, just like walking Walk into the kitchen. So it's like it's nothing. Like you're used to just sinning, sinning, sinning. But when you give your life to Christ and you repent, God is changing your mind and your heart to go against these sins. And you no longer desire to sin, but the temptation is still there to tempt you to sin. So therefore, it definitely does not get easier. Like he said, I've definitely had much more harder times than I did before I was saved. So don't, like he said, do not let people tell you once you give your life to Christ, oh my gosh, everything's just so much better. Like, you're never going to get sick anymore. You're going to be the richest person in the world. Like, no, that's not how it works at all. It will actually be harder for you because you're going to step on people's toes. You're going to lose friends. People are going to persecute you, and that's going to hurt you. So don't listen to people when they tell you that it gets easier becoming a Christian because it definitely doesn't. And God never promised us that it's going to be easy that this life is going to be easy for us, but instead the life after this. But he did say, let me make sure I put a header on this, because I already know somebody's blood is boiling right now in their head, and their head probably red as I don't know what, probably tomato, red as a tomato, if I don't say this. 
Christ did say, I will never leave you or forsake you. So now when we go through trials and tribulation, persecution, whatever it is we face as a Christian, we have a little sense of joy and peace because we know as Christians, especially as reformers, that we know that God is sovereign. And he said that he would never leave us or forsake us. If God is sovereign and if God is in control, let me rephrase this, since God is sovereign and since God is in control, we can rest in no matter what situation we're in because we know God is faithful to his word. And we also know that the gospel is not that my life will be changed for the better because sometimes it may be the opposite because sometimes maybe God will get glory out of you suffering or out of you going to persecution. Whatever the situation is, it's all about God's glory and not about your glory. And so... Don't be uh, killing us too bad, y'all. I know we're we almost done. This might hurt somebody right here. The gospel is not man's response to it. The gospel is not man's response to it. Let me tell you what I mean. So the gospel, it's not about what man does. We know that, especially as a reformer. We know that God's sovereign. God predetermined who it is who will be saved. Talking about the covenant redemption. God, he established a truce within himself or agreement within himself that he was saved and redeem a people for himself how do you do that effectual call of god the holy spirit you guys know these things but that is not the gospel it's not about mankind we're not good nor can we achieve heaven in our own favor so what i mean by this is you cannot work your way to heaven the gospel is not about living a good life and being perfect or about solo works but it's about We'll talk about it at the end. So the gospel is not about what man does at all because you can't be good to get to heaven. Like, I know I've been sharing the gospel with people and a lot of times people will say to you, because I'm a good person, like, because I'm a good person. And I know i seen this one girl who was on Instagram and she was, you know, being truthful and she was just like, we aren't good, we aren't enough, we aren't perfect, which is why we need God to come in and cleanse us and change our hearts. And if y'all could see the comments about how many people were like, girl, you're brainwashed. Like, what is wrong with you? You are enough. You are good. This, then, the third. So, so many people are blinded thinking that we are good when, in fact, we are not good. That's the whole point of Jesus coming in and changing our hearts and the Holy Spirit being in us, dwelling in us to continue to change us and lead us to repentance. There is no way if we were good, 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 why would we need a savior? Uh -oh. Why would we need to be saved if we're good? Why? Cash app, P-A-Y, with me. <laughs> P-A, let me tell you one more time. Cash app, P-A-Y, with me, y'all. I'm just slapping in there. She is signed currently right now by the Jones Foundation. The Jones Foundation. <laughs> no, but seriousness. So you guys understand that's kind of stuff, especially for the Christian. You guys should know this, but for the ones that's, Fake Christians, you maybe you guys think that ending by myself, by my self-righteousness, that I can be saved, or by keeping God's law, by reading my Bible, by praying enough times, by uh, doing whatever deed it is, that by doing these deeds enough times, it will save me. But that is not the gospel. And we'll get into that a little bit later about what the gospel really is. But the gospel is not being a good person or man's response to it. So, number five. The gospel is not the response demanded by the gospel. Let me say it one more time. The gospel is not the response demanded by the gospel. So when I, what I mean by that is the good news is not telling somebody they're a sinner, they need to repent, and they have faith in Jesus. That's not the gospel at all. Because they're not going to understand why. We have to start off by telling them. That's why you bring the law in while spreading the gospel, because people have to first understand what did I do wrong? Because we're blinded by our sins at first. We are, we make sin an idol. We go into it so, so, so much. We were born into sin. Therefore, people must understand why they need God. Because we need God. We know we need God. But people who are blind to that, we have to put ourselves in their shoes of before we were saved. What did we think about God? And did we think we needed God? So people must first understand why they need God, what is sin, and how can we be brought and unified with God while not being perfect, not being good. So again, the gospel is not the response demanded by the gospel. So again, simply 
calling on people to make a decision is not the gospel. Telling people they need to repent, trust in the Lord, that's not the gospel. Those are the stipulations or the requirements that's demanded by us from the Lord God himself after hearing the gospel for those that elect, but that is not the good news. And so faith, repentance are proper responses by the gospel or for the gospel, but neither of those two things saves a person because they are not the gospel. Having faith and um, repenting is part of the gospel, but faith and repentance is not good news to anybody. If I walk up to you right now and say, hey, you need to have faith and trust and repent and trust in Jesus, right? You'd be like, why do you need to do that? That's not the gospel. That's not good news, right? That's more of like a law, right? That's still the covenant of works. So, number six, even though I love this so much, I love talking about this. This is not the gospel. Establishing, establishing man's alienation from God and his need of a gospel is not the gospel. So, let me kind of dumb this down. Talking about man's total depravity, their, um, how, to, how much we're dead in sin, how much original sin has corrupted our freedom to choose God, all that is good as part of the gospel, why we need the gospel, but that's not the gospel. If I walk up to you and I say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. <laughs> you might get shot, you might get slapped. Some sinners might agree with you. Yeah, I ain't going to hell, so what? But that's not the gospel because Jesus, he never, when he preached the gospel, he never, yes, he talked about this, but that's not the essence of what the gospel is. People are not going to know just by starting off why they're going to hell so you must help them to understand you cannot say oh yeah you're going to hell that's it you can't not do that because jesus did not did not do that to us he helped us understand what sin was why we needed him and what did it mean for us to need him we cannot just go up to people and say hey you're a sinner or hey you're going to hell because being blinded to that and being blinded by the enemy, they're not going to understand that. Like he said, like that's just telling people, oh, you're going to hell. You cannot leave it at that because they don't understand why you're saying that to them. So right now for the Christian that's listening, go ahead and say it. You are going to hell. I know you want to say your head. You love saying it. But so go and get out of your system. Say it in your head. That's not the gospel. People need to know that. People need to know they were born in sin, totally depraved on um, the nature of goodness. There is no good in us apart from the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ himself, right? Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Why? Because we're all born into the kingdom of darkness, operated by the devil, blinding the minds of all the nations. Um, by nations, I mean people, even Jews, people, we're all blinded. Yes, the devil is bound, we know that, but... People are, uh, people are blinded to the gospel and to God because of the simple nature that we inherited from our head and Adam. But this is not the gospel. This is more bad news. This is more law. This is what the Pharisees did. They put the law on people. And it's, the law shows us that we can't get to heaven. It shows us that we can't keep the law. Ten Commandments. Nobody can keep the law, right? But that's not the gospel. The Ten Commandments is not the gospel. And so... Go ahead and get that total depravity out of your nature. I know you want to preach that and definitely be preaching that. But to preach that, it's all to get you to the gospel. It's to show somebody their need of a savior preaching on total depravity. And so number seven. Calling on people to obey and live upright moral lives is not the gospel. We cannot say to people, oh, you know, you need to do better. Like, you need to stop sinning like you need to just cut that out you need to stop that and they're going to look at you like what why why do i need to stop what do, why, stop for what what's the point so this statement is absolutely true one must be born again in order to enter the kingdom so yeah she's correct we definitely need to be born again and you definitely want to tell people uh how they can be born again but we cannot be good to get to heaven of course and so that's kind of what she's getting at. So call on people to obey and live upright moral lives. It's not the gospel because being good again doesn't get anybody to heaven. I believe Isaiah 64 verse 6, it says that all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. And so if I could be a little bit more specific, if there's any girls listening, you guys know what tampons are. And tampons can be very dirty because of, you know, you guys know the cycles and stuff. 
And so God is saying the best thing you ever can do in your life is amounted as just a tampon to God because it's dirty. Because your deeds you do, it comes from a sinner. You're a sinner. What good can a sinner do, right? Because he has a sinner's heart. He's totally afraid. He's born dead in sin and corrupted. There is no good a sinner can do. The only thing a dead man can do is stink and rot. And that's what we do. We stink it up. With our self-righteousness, our pride, our idolatry, we cannot be good. And so, like my cousin already said, if a person can be good to get to heaven, what was the point of Jesus coming down here, right? Being born again is not the gospel. Although this statement is absolutely true, one must, one must be born again to enter the kingdom. And Jesus taught this in John 3. This is not the gospel itself. In regeneration, the grace of God enables the sinner to receive and rest in Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. It is therefore closely related to the gospel and faith, but it is not the gospel. So, this is saying, you cannot just be like, you need to be born again. That's not the gospel. How can I be born again? Is what people will look at you and say, or what does it mean to be born again? Why do I need to be born again? Therefore, you cannot just say, because being born again is not the gospel. People have to understand why they need to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? How can they be born again? That's the gospel. Cash app name P-A-Y-M-E. And she was right on the money, especially for my reformer. We love talking about total private. We love talking about the needs or the necessity of being born again or the new birth. But... Those doctrines in and of themselves are not the gospel. They are part of the gospel that we use to get to the gospel. It's the subjective content that we use and anybody can use to get to the gospel. But it's not the objective at all times view of what the gospel is. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But the necessity of the new birth, the total depravity of nature uh, that we all have, those qualities or doctrines are not the gospel. Number nine, the gospel is not the work of the gospel is not the work of the Father of the Holy Spirit. And so you guys probably thinking like I'm crazy already, but just listen, just listen, just listen, just please just listen. The gospel is not the work of just the Father or just the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I say that? So one of the basic um, necessities every Christian should have about themselves is that you need to understand. Just a little, you need to have some kind of concept or grasp what the Trinity is. And so the Trinity, we speak of the Trinity as in three, um, three essence, one essence, three distinct beings or three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, right? And so as you guys remember, when Jesus was baptized, we saw Jesus go in the water. The Father said, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. And it says the spirit came upon Jesus like a dove. And so in that um, passage, we saw all three persons distinctively. But we worship and praise one God. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. But God chooses to reveal himself in three distinct persons. So the father is God, the son is God, and the spirit is God. But they all work in perfect harmony together and so to say that the gospel is solely just the act of the father or just the act of the holy spirit that's getting the gospel wrong because god is a triune god he works in perfect harmony with the son with the holy spirit and we they all work together and so for example if you say that jesus died for all and Ephesians one said the father has predetermined from the foundation of the world, who it is who will be saved, you bring disunity between the Trinity. And so we know God is perfect. If there's disunity within the Trinity, why do we need to be um, conformed and loving our neighbor if God can do it himself, right? It doesn't make sense. And so the gospel is not solely the act of one person of the Godhead, but it's the perfect unity and harmonization of the Trinity because God is perfect. And all three of these uh, beings or persons of the Godhead are in perfect harmony with one another. So go back and listen to that. 
real quick. You guys rewind, listen to that. So I may maybe that's probably difficult for somebody. But if you got any questions, my email is k h a l e e l j zero zero at gmail.com. And so I know somebody probably gonna be wondering, you know, what the world you know, I'm talking about about the Trinity and what I just said. Email me, and I will definitely get to you. And I'll try to answer your question. But number nine, again, the gospel is not the work of one person of the Godhead. Number 10. Cultural transformation is not the gospel. So agreeing with your culture, culture, um, traditions and different things like that is not the gospel. So believing in what your culture believes and telling people, hey, like, you can't be black because you're not following this or you can't be a Christian because you're not following this culture or telling a white or a black person, well, whoever, whatever race it may be, because of their cultural transformation or the way that they represent their culture, they cannot be a Christian or whatever the case may be like that. That's not the gospel. You cannot tell someone, oh, you need to act like this as a black person. You need to act like this as a white person to fit a certain way to be a Christian because that's not the gospel. All right, number 11. The gospel is not the tradition of men. Like he said a little bit earlier, people, the apostles and Jesus got crucified for this gospel. Many people, as you know, in culture, they support these traditions. You know, it's just something that goes down the line and is done over and over and over and over again. So if the gospel was a tradition these people would not have went against it because they know you know like our great 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 greats did this so you know we fall in line with this tradition just like it goes with different culture you know black people have their culture and traditions and you know other races have their cultures and traditions and people you know fall in line with it you know some people may disagree with it but when it all comes down people fall in line with it that's not what the gospel is people are getting killed for this faith people are being um, attacked for this faith, persecuted for this faith, put in jail for this faith. It's people in different countries who have to hide while reading their Bibles, who have to rip out certain pages of the Bible just so they can read some of the Bible. So, so getting at that too, the question is why? Why does that matter? Everything she just said, why does that matter? And it's because those men who physically wrote the Bible, but they weren't inspired to, like, what I mean by, let me let me go back real quick, if I butcher this and somebody cuts me out on the line. So what I mean, God, he is the primary author of the Bible. Everybody who wrote a chapter in the Bible or a book in the Bible was inspired by him through the Holy Spirit to write down God's word of what he intended for us to know as believers. And so this is not a traditional man like my cousin said, this is God's word. Man did not write this Bible. And so we can't say, oh, that Bible is just tradition, my man. Man, they wrote they wrote this or that or that. No, this is the God, this is God's word. This is this is the word that was in heaven and it's rich earth and it's telling people what they need to do to be saved or what they need to do to know the creator of everything. This is God's word. This is not tradition of man. So the gospel is not democratic or republican. Like, oh my gosh, people, I've heard this so much about um, people, especially within this year. Well, yeah, this is the first time I've heard it this year. It's how people try to say, you know, Jesus was a democrat or Jesus would be democrat. Jesus would be republican. No, he would not. He does not fit our earthly descriptions. He does not fit our earthly groups, these different things. Jesus is not a part of this. He does not go no he is not in politics politics so for people that say you know jesus is democrat jesus is republican the gospel is this the gospel is that no no it's not it's the word of god that's who jesus is she getting ahead y'all she better get the answers now i'm playing but the last one the gospel is not confound to one race of people that's another thing i cannot stand for somebody to say you know jesus died for white people only or jesus died for black people only no no he did not he died for not only the jews but the gentiles as well meaning us as a whole 
that doesn't mean that Jesus died for the whole world, but it means that Jesus does not discriminate. It's not that he's like only died for this group of people or only died for white people or black people. It's not one race. God, I mean, Jesus died for different types of people, people all over the world. It's not, you cannot confine God to a box. You cannot confine him to a square. He did not just die for one race of people. The gospel is not that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for us or that Jesus can give, that Jesus can give purpose to my seeming, seeming less chaotic purposeless life or the good news is that i have a personal relationship with jesus that i can have my sins forgiven all of these things may be true enough but not one of them individually or collectively is the gospel the gospel has a specific content the gospel has an objective content to it as well as a subjective element to it that was a quote from a former R.C. Sproul who's going to be with the Lord as of the year 2017. And he um, he says that in one of his um, sermons about what the gospel is. And so what a beautiful quote, because, again, we just gave you 13 what the gospel is not. And during this last section of um, the podcast, we're going to be talking about what the gospel is. Stay tuned. <music> And we're back, and it's the last section of the podcast. The first part, we dealt with what the gospel is not. But now we're going to get to the juicy stuff, and that is what the gospel is, in fact. And so if you don't know, you should know. Your Bible is split into two parts. You got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The original writers, they spoke a language that was different from ours, which is called Hebrew in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they spoke um greek and aramaic and so the original writers of the old testament they wrote in hebrew and in the new testament it is greek and aramaic and so the word gospel is a greek word which is used or is called you and gelion you and gelion and so in greek usually meanings they have different uh, meanings or connotations from our english word and so you and gelion is two words put together you have the prefix eu or what is you and you have angelion put together and so the prefix eu it simply means good an example of this will be a eulogy at a eulogy the person or the preacher is speaking a good word or a good message about the person that's passed away or you guys know what euphemism is look that up i don't feel like explaining that <laughs> but eulogy person speaking a good word about the person passed away and so eu the prefix means it means good. The angelion part, if you were to write this down on a piece of paper, it would look like the word angel. And that's because it is. The word angel in Greek, it means angelos. And angels in the kingdom, their primary function in the kingdom is to be deliverers of on behalf of God, right? And so once we put both these words together, we get what is you angelion. And euangelion simply means the gospel, good news, or good announcement. And so that word, good news, or euangelion, is used uh, three primary ways throughout the Bible in the New Testament. The first way is, it's used to like describe a particular literary genre. As you guys know, we have the epistles in the New Testament. We have the prophecy and revelation, but we have the four gospels. And so the reason why they are called the four gospels, and you guys know the word gospel means good news, is because the four gospels, um, they taught us about the person and work of the one who is at the very heart of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. So the first way is the four gospels. The second way is with the respect of the announcement of the kingdom. As you guys know, in the Old Testament, um, we have so many prophecies that spoke about a future kingdom that was coming on earth where the Messiah would reign on earth with his people. And so even during the time of Jesus' ministry, um, many of the Jews, they were questioning him, saying, you know, how can you be the Messiah? Because there is no kingdom here. And so John the Baptist, he comes on the scene and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You can reach out and grab it. So in a real sense, people are now entering the kingdom right now as we speak. So what 
how is this good news, right? So, the kingdom, the good news, the advent, the breakthrough, the intrusion, the coming of the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God has come with Jesus, of course, when he came to earth. When Jesus was here in his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, just like John the Baptist. So, in one sense, the kingdom of God has always been, you guys know that, the Lord God has always reigned in heaven and over the entire earth because he created it. But throughout the history of redemption, God has promised the coming of the kingdom and the Jews were looking forward to this kingdom. But in reality, I like what R.C. Sproul says. He says, they were just looking for the coming of the king who would embody the kingdom, who was infinite or who would initiate this kingdom, which is Jesus, right? So the kingdom of earth, we can talk about that later. Um, basically, this kingdom, of course, we're speaking about the Messiah. They were so focused on the Messiah. And so when we get to the New Testament, when we speak of the word gospel, uh, the gospels and the kingdom, like I told you guys, the, the good announcement about the kingdom, it was so focused on Jesus that when we get to the gospels, it's simply talking about the good news. And the good news is simply who Jesus is and what he accomplished. So my cousin's still here. She's been quiet though. She's still here. Who is Jesus? Blessing. Girl, yes, I'm asking you. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior, the eternal Son of God. The eternal Son of God. What does that mean? That he will never not be his son. His son forever and ever and ever. And has always been his son. And he's always existed with who? God. God, right? Because Jesus got the yeah. Trinity, right? They're one, right? So if Jesus has always existed, he's always been the Son and the Father. He's always been in perfect harmony with the Godhead because he is God. But he lived 2,000 years ago as a man born of a virgin. How does that make sense? So is he God or is he man? He is fully God and fully man. Yes. Some Christians say truly God and truly man. This is often known as the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. So go look it up. I can't explain it right now. But basically, it's the fact that Jesus was both God and both man. Fully God, fully man. Truly God, truly man. And he was born of a virgin because he was born without the sinful nature that we all inherit. But he was born by the Holy Spirit. That's why he's born of a virgin. And so the the, the main um, idea of this was because in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy concerning David that there would be a person born of David's lineage that would rule over the people and be um, kind of rule over David's throne, right? And so the Messiah was this person. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the chosen one. He is a deliverer. He was the one that would save the people from their sins. He was born of a virgin, Mary. He is both truly God, truly man. He is all of these things. And so Jesus is the eternal son of God, the Messiah, the deliverer, the savior. And this is a little, about, a little bit about who he is, right? But what did he accomplish? Because the gospel is who he is. And we discussed this, but what did he accomplish? He accomplished bringing us back to God. He accomplished reconciliation, salvation, redemption, unification, all in Christ. Through his blood, we are made righteous. Although we cannot be good, we can be righteous in Christ. And no, we're not perfect, but to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must accept God. We must accept Jesus, who he is, and what he accomplished. Therefore, we can be cleansed, and we can be made righteous in his name. So, I will simplify what she said in three simple things. And these are three covenants. You have the covenant of works, you have the covenant of grace, and you have the covenant of redemption. So, in the Old Testament, the word testament in Latin is a word known as covenant. And so in the Old Covenant, Adam was our first head. He represented the whole entire human race as a whole. And so when he's saying this was something called original sin, it's not just the first sin that he committed, but 
it's the consequences behind his sin. And so now all of us are born into sin under the curse of the covenant of works. By that, I mean that in the Old Testament, you have Adam. If you obey me, you'll be blessed. But if you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. die, right? Israel, if you obey me, you'll be blessed and get to go to the land. But if you disobey me, you will be cursed and will no longer be able to go to the land, right? And so no human alive can keep or fulfill that covenant. And so that Messiah, the deliverer, the deliverer, the savior, the chosen one, king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself, both truly God, truly man, born of a virgin, came into this world as the second head, the second Adam, and he was both under this covenant of works, but he fulfilled this covenant of works. And by doing so, he established the covenant of grace. And so he fulfilled the covenant of works in the covenant of grace to accomplish the covenant of redemption. So the covenant of grace, no longer is it me, 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 or I have to do this or that or that to be in perfect favor with God. But now Christ, he obeyed the father perfectly, never sinning one time. And he took upon the sin of the whole entire world, those whom the father has pre-elected to be saved or foreordained to be saved. And he died for their, died for their sins. And so now sinners are made righteous or justified in the father's eyes, not because of what they did, but because of what the son has done. And so now in this new covenant of grace, it's all about Christ's works, not about our own. And so Christ, he fulfilled the covenant of works. No longer is it to be perfect to get to heaven, but now it's simply simply trusting in Jesus' perfection and righteousness. And he gives you this perfection and righteousness almost like it's clothes. You need to put on new clothes that you had no idea about. Martin Luther says this was an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness. And so us, this righteousness is foreign to us because it's Christ's righteousness. We're all born in sin and none of us even have a, a concept of what righteousness is. But Christ, he gives it to us and we're able to be made right before the Father. And so the covenant of redemption, God, he made a truth or agreement within himself that he will redeem a people. And so Jesus... He accomplishes all three of these covenants because he kept and fulfilled all of what the covenant works required of him. There is 613 laws in the Bible and Christ, he perfectly obeyed the father and kept every single one of those commandments, not sinning one time. And he extends the covenant of grace to us, those in Christ. And he simply says, come to me, all who were in heavy lane, and I'll give you rest for your soul. So the true rest is found in Christ. And Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He is a mediator between both God and man. Peter says, there is salvation in no one else under heaven, because there's no other name under heaven among which we must be saved. There is no other gospel. There is no other Savior. Christ kept coming to works. And he extends grace to the sinner who repents and believes in him. And by doing this, the moment a sinner repents and puts their faith in Christ, Christ accomplished the covenant of redemption. And this is active every single day. The moment a person walks into the kingdom of God, they're entering into the new covenant of grace. And it points, it points back to the covenant of redemption that Christ, the Father, and the Spirit before the foundation of the world, they said that they were redeeming people and they actually did, in fact, do this. And so, in summary, the gospel is who Jesus is and what he accomplished. The gospel is not about us. It's not about us being perfect. It's not about us being good because if we were good, there would be no reason for us to have a savior. The gospel is not the gospel that God has a wonderful plan about for everyone. The gospel is not our testimony. The gospel is not in itself, by itself, a relationship with God. The gospel is not Jesus saving us for our problems in this life. The gospel is not the response demanded by the gospel. The gospel is not man's response to it. 
The gospel is not calling on people to obey and live upright moral lives is not the gospel. Being born again is not the gospel. The gospel is not the work of the Father, of the Holy Spirit alone. The gospel is not cultural transformation. The gospel is not the transition of me, the tradition of men. The gospel is not democratic or republican, and the gospel is not confined to one race or one person. The gospel simply is who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And again, this you have to get this right. Yes, a person must understand the need of a savior. You have to use the law. You have to point them to the law of God, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. It shows us that by nature, none of us can keep this law to get to heaven. Nobody can feel this coming to works. But there was a man who came 2,000 years ago. His name was Christ. He was the Messiah. He was perfect. He kept all these laws. And he says, come to me and you'll be saved. Repent and put your trust in me and you will be saved. And so Christ, he accomplished all three of those covenants I mentioned earlier. And so this is the gospel. We must be getting this right. And so thank you guys for listening. And just a little secret. My cash up name is P-A-Y. In me, my cousin was spending some dimes today, so please cash up me. P A Y M E.